Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Indeed. This week, The House of Many Ways by Diana Wynne Jones. Crackling fire. <laughs> this is the final book in the trilogy of Howl's adjacent books. I don't think there's a title for them because they're not exactly subsequent novels about the same characters. Yeah. They're loosely connected through the appearance of Howl, Sophie, and Calcifer. Yeah. So they're in the Howl um, cinematic universe. <laughs> the HCU. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was really cool to actually be able to finish this out. Uh, yeah. Here at Dragon Babies, we rarely finish when we start. <laughs> Um, mainly because we're often covering these long series and we want to get to all the different authors and books that y'all have recommended and requested. So we, we keep it moving. But for Diana, we're going to follow through. This book was published in 2008. So a good deal later than the previous two books. Howl's Moving Castle was published in 1986, and then the sequel, quote unquote, to that was published, Castle in the Air, was published in 1990. Um, so there was an 18-year break before this book. Um, and but, but I don't know. They, they still feel united to me. Yeah, no, um, I, I think they feel super cohesive. Yeah. Like, I would not have assumed that they were written that far apart. But because this was published much later, the same artist who we really liked for the oh, first two books why. didn't do the art for this one. Um, and there are just fewer editions available. Um, yeah, but Madeline, would you like to uh, let us know what this cover did look like? I would. So uh, I have seen, uh, like, I think that there is a series of three in this style um, mm -hmm. of the cover that we found. And it has, I don't even know what to call this font. It looks kind of viney or thorny. Um, that's, it's like a golden text that says house of many ways. It's very magical looking text. It reminds me of Tamara Pierce for some reason. Maybe she has like kind of a similar text on some covers I've seen. I don't know. It looks very magical and appealing. I guess that's what I'm trying to communicate. <laughs> um, and, uh, so there's like lots of doors floating off in the distance. It's over this um, blue sky with some clouds. Uh, and there's there's like a suggested um, perhaps like towers or, or maybe just more doors in the background, like over these rolling clouds. Um, I like the way the doors all look really different. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, and in uh, we, we've got... Um, Charmaine in the foreground peeping through a door um, with her red hair and uh, you can see Hell's Moving Castle through uh, like in the distance through that door. Just a peep. Yeah. And it says the sequel to Hell's Moving Castle, um, which is confusing. I think that's a bit misleading. It's a sequel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the second sequel to Hell's Moving Castle and it's hard to even call them sequels Castle in the Air and House of Many Ways yeah that's why we say um, the HCU right the HCU <laughs> yes uh, but of course in your marketing you're going to be mentioning that and tying them together because that's the most popular book and, and it has a best major known. motion yeah. picture based on it yeah, yeah. Um, and then I really like also that there's a little 
Kirkus Reviews says, joyfully chaotic, which, <laughs> yes. Just the perfect description <laughs> for this book. We've, we've covered a lot of Diana Wynne Jones books on the pod at this point in our quest to become the preeminent DWJ podcast. But this is maybe the most chaotic one yes. that we've read. Yes. And Joyful Chaos is really a big part of her brand. Oh, I love the, <laughs> the whole it feel of it. It is intensified in a way that I yeah, truly haven't seen before. Yeah, it's just constant joyful chaos. People popping in and out and all kinds of wacky magics going on. And, you know, I actually like this book cover. Um, I it, it makes sense that they put a little blurb there that says joyfully chaotic because i do think that this cover is much calmer than Mm -hmm. the book is Um, like this looks more like cerebral and you know kind of more zoomed out as opposed to like this is actually a very um intense like entrenching uh story about these characters like you're really running alongside of them while you're reading it um so that that would be my only complaint about it but i do like this cover design i like i would pick this up it looks cool it looks intriguing. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I also found a couple other covers that I really enjoyed. One is a Russian edition. Oh, um, you show me that one. That, that looks is so cool. Magnificent. Yeah. Um, Charmaine is on the front. She looks like a young Mrs. Miss Frizzle, um, yeah. which I'm very into, and is wearing like a whimsical punk outfit <laughs> um, consisting of a denim vest with pins on it and a striped undershirt um, and a plaid skirt and she's carrying Waif who is like just too cute to handle and there are kobolds in the background and she's in the library Um, and there are bubbles floating all around her also because of the soap yeah and I really dig her her like punk look Um, her like late 80s early 90s uh, (laughs) kind of like um, yeah, it, it looks awesome. And it, the title on it is... She also kind of looks like she's going to be in a Nickelodeon show. Totally. From like That's what it's 90s. making me Like Nickelodeon punk. <laughs> like Cl- Clarissa <laughs> explains it all. Vibe. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the title is Dom su um, which means like, literally, I, I think it means like, the house with character or like with a lot of character idiomatically, it probably mm-hmm. means something more poetic, mm-hmm. but I just really like that translation. That's this great. is, this is a super fun cover. That's we'll, great. we'll post it. Yeah. It'll be on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com as well as Instagram dragon babies podcast. Let's go over the plot of the book for those who haven't read it before or haven't visited it in a, a while. Sure. Um, We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read it before, but you'd like to hop along, please, and then come back. It's an engaging and quick read. It is. And the audiobook is really fun also for this one. Great narrator. Same narrator that I've heard before on like Audible. The other Howl's books. Um, And then the, oh, the other piece I wanted to mention that I forgot too is that as you may have surmised, we... Did not read this book when we were younger. I was in college in 2008 and sadly wasn't reading much fantasy. Yeah, um, I was 18 but, and also in a similar page. But it is new to us, which is very exciting. It was so fun to see these characters. <laughs> and we do have episodes on the previous books, Howl's Moving Castle and Castle in the Air. So if you'd like to check those out first, you are very welcome to. House of Many Ways centers around a protagonist named Charmaine, who is a 
young woman raised in a noble family. Well, they're noble adjacent, but they run the bakery in their kingdom. Yeah, and they're very well to do. I I would call them like upper craftsman class. Upper craftsman class. I know. I just totally made that up, but I feel like you know what I mean. It sounds like (laughs) an established D and D class. Yeah, you see, but her mother is very concerned with being respectable and proper and being a lady. So, as a result, Charmaine has never really done anything or like learned how to do anything other than like look cute, and then she just like hides away and reads a lot. (laughs) So, those are her two modes of being. She has sent a letter to the king asking if she can work in his library. Um, But at the same time, her great uncle, who is also a wizard, um, Wizard Norland, um, has fallen ill and someone needs to go and take care of his and kind of watch over his house while he is being treated by the elves. And I wish that when I got sick, I could just go stay with the elves. I I know what it was like. This happens time and time again in a wide range of fantasy series. And why doesn't it happen here? Yeah, I love when just a bunch of like Tolkienian elves show up and take him away. No, I had the same just like, man, I wish I could get that, you know, like what what medical insurance do I need to be on? (laughs) Elf cross. Yeah. To clarify, this book is set in a different kingdom from each of the previous books in this series. Castle in the Air is set in Zanzib and Howl's Moving Castle is set in Ingri. And this kingdom is called High Norland. And the wizard's also Great Uncle William Norland, which is confusing. Confusing. Uh, Wizard Norland, I guess. So he's taking on the name of the place. We did triple check it. So (laughs) we just checked. (laughs) So Charmaine goes on a journey that seems long, but is actually really short to her uncle's house, yeah. which is just one of the very funny things about this book. Um, there's like a lot of distortion of time and space based on, depending on what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, right away, it's pretty confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, William's being taken away by the elves, and he's like, okay, like, sorry, it's such a mess. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> And Charmaine's freaked out because, like, everyone thinks that she does have some magical background, but she actually doesn't know, like, anything about magic. Yeah, and really doesn't know much of anything about anything. Um, She's lacking in a lot of the practical skills necessary to take care of a wizard's house or any house. Yeah, any house. Um, So right away, she meets a little dog who appears (laughs) just kind of running through the house. And she's really confused because the house seems super small. Um, and there are doors that just kind of go into little cupboards and it just seems to be like a kind of dirty kitchen Mm -hmm. and then a little room. Yeah. But she soon realizes that depending on how you walk through different doors, you can be in different parts of the house or the world. Um, reminiscent of the door in Howl's Moving Castle that's on the castle where you can turn it, but that had four settings. Yeah. As opposed to this is just like, this is much more free. Yeah. 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 Um, so she's, trying to figure out where to find things she realizes that if she talks aloud and asks a question her 
uncle has put some sort of like watch enchantment in place so he can answer and give her a little information. Yeah. Um, and she starts realizing some of the wizardry of the house that you can like ask for afternoon tea and things like that. Um, and she finds a spell book and decides that she's going to try to learn a spell from it because she's like, well, I mean, if they think I have magic, why not? Maybe I do. (laughs) And she is trying to do the spell. The book keeps changing pages while she's doing it unbeknownst to her. So she's kind of like, doing all the spells from the book. It's a very complex uh, spell. And then she goes outside to sort of the edge of the the cliff that the house is located near. And she meets a very unpleasant creature that she recognizes as a Lubbock. Um, Brief pause, and then we'll talk more about this later, but Diana Wynne-Jones invented Lubbock's for this book. I can't find anything about them as creatures anywhere else. A Lubbock is a like an insectoid human-ish thing. It's upsetting. That is gross, yeah. um, is purple, <laughs> um, and lays its eggs lays its eggs into human hosts without their knowledge by kind Yikes. of just injecting them. Yeah, no thank you. And if, sci-fi stuff. if it happens to a woman, she usually like gives birth to the eggs and then dies. And it, if it happens to a man, the Lubbock just like grows, or the Lubbockin as they're called, the children like grow out of him and he dies bad no matter what. And then the Lubbockans exist to like serve their master basically and do its bidding. But the Lubbockans can kind of disguise themselves as human or seem human. So they're very tricky. So like right away, we've got a weird dash of body horror <laughs> in this book. And you're like, whoa, okay, what? I don't like that. And the Lubbockan kind of advances on her and is like, this isn't your land. Everything's mine. And then she falls and then kind of flies away. <laughs> um, so the spell worked and she manages to get back to the house and is like trying to hide out and avoid the Lubbock. And then a boy around her age shows up. I think they're both like teens. Um, I think they're like around 15, 16. Yeah. And I think so. his name is Peter and he's like, I'm the wizard's apprentice. Um, but I just got here and Peter now I'm is, ready to apprentice him yeah. <laughs> and he is a mess. Yeah, um, exactly. But he, so he's a mess in terms of his magic. Nothing he does goes right. Yeah. But he's always trying. He tries so hard. For worse. But he does carry a lot of practical skills and knowledge that Charmaine lacks. Um, So he starts cleaning up the house, dealing with all the horrible dishes everywhere, um, dealing with the mysterious appearing bags of laundry that are always showing up, um, and kind of shaming Charmaine for not knowing how to do anything and also not wanting to do anything. She's always like, I want to go read. Yeah, she's just like, no, I don't care about this. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) The end. And so they have an acrimonious relationship to say the least. Yeah. But Charmaine gets a letter from the king that says, oh, you want to work in the library? Coincidentally, my daughter, Princess Hilda, is having some visitors come and we need help. So can you be there at 
on Wednesday at 10.30. Yeah. <laughs> um, very stressful letter. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would be very unhappy about it. And then she's that. immediately like, uh, doesn't even know what day it is. No. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> no. Um, but she gets it together and she does go on Wednesday and learns that the king and Princess Hilda, both of whom are quite elderly, are combing through all of the records in the palace. Um, so old bills and notes and letters and invoices, um, looking for anything related to some key words like elf and gold and treasure. <laughs> and Charmaine is, you know, surmises that the kingdom is having financial trouble of some kind. Also, all their paintings are gone from the walls. The yeah. castle is like pretty shabby. Um, and things generally aren't great. We do get a familiar face in the form of Jamal from Castle in the Sky yeah. and his dog. Yeah. Um, because we learned that he was going to become a royal cook at the end of the last book. And this is where they ended up in High Norland. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> Waif, who has followed Charmaine along, goes off with the dog. And the two of them have a grand old time. And Charmaine starts working on record keeping. And she gets along with the king very well. They have a great time going over things. And then some other familiar faces show up. <sighs> and Princess Hilda's guests turn out to be Sophie and her baby Morgan, who we first met in Castle in the Sky when she gave birth to him as a cat. They're both humans now. And then a little boy named Twinkle. <laughs> a beautiful little boy with like perfect golden ringlets. Yeah. <laughs> and a sparkling smile and a horrible lisp. <laughs> and we, uh, the reader, realize immediately that Twinkle is Howl in disguise for some reason. And Sophie is super annoyed yeah. <laughs> by him and everything that he's doing. <laughs> And they're there to help with some mysterious task that is clearly related to the kingdom running out of money. Yeah. So Charmaine's learning about this. She is, you know, life continues. She goes back and forth um, to work at the library and then be back at the wizard's house where she and Peter are just getting increasingly annoyed with one another. Um, he you know, ruins all the pipes with a spell to try to make them hot because all that there's no hot water and the taps are gone. Um, and because then the cobalts took them. the cobalts took them. We haven't mentioned cobalts yet, but they are small blue creatures that it, it's a little confusing at first. There's one who's very unpleasant named Rollo who shows up in the garden and is like, the wizard pays me gold in order to chop all the flowers down and Charmaine's like that doesn't like, seem right <laughs> <laughs> but he's like kind of showing up and antagonizing them at different moments um and the kobolds also live in the hills around the house um and also live in a room inside the house that Charmaine finds at one point I don't remember when all the explorations happen because she and Peter are kind of constantly looking through yeah and Peter finds a map that is very detailed that the wizard clearly made at some point and gives that to Charmaine and is like, we can use this to try to explore and figure out these different places. Charmaine oddly is like, I don't want to explore. I don't want to learn about this. I don't want this responsibility. I, dang books. I just want to read books, even though like she keeps also picking bad books. 
She keeps reading memoirs of an exorcist right before bed, which I, you know, I'd probably advise against. It seems like a bad call. <laughs> There's also a prince um, that shows up at the oh, castle yeah. um, who is the heir to the kingdom at this point. Um, there's been a lot of been a lot of tragedy that has struck the heirs to the throne. Um, they've almost all died yeah, in things are kind of a mess. ways. <laughs> um, and yeah, Charmaine is disturbed by that and the king is kind of just like, I, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, the king's just bopping around. That man is in a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he's too old to still be ruling, but there isn't really a good heir um, and they're also trying to figure out how to save the kingdom from ruin. Yeah, um, the so, finances are bad. So he hasn't been able to retire. Yeah. You know, it's probably what's ahead for all of us. Yay. Fortunately. <laughs> if you live in the United States and Social Security doesn't exist anymore. Um, but enough about that. <laughs> that's, that's what uh, we spend all of our time worrying about. <laughs> that's tomorrow. <laughs> And the prince seems off-putting. There's also an off-putting man, a colorless gentleman, as Charmaine refers to him, who works at the palace and who she has seen before is familiar to her um, because she thinks she's seen him in one of her adventures through the house mm. in one of the corridors. So she's trying to figure all this out at the same time Sophie and... Her two wards are doing things, (laughs) (laughs) Um, trying to also solve the problem. Sophie talks to Charmaine a little bit, but Twinkle talks to Charmaine a lot. And it's like, you need to figure this out um, and we need your help. And I'm going to make all of the like books and records that contain notes that have any of these keywords in them glow that you can see. So you can like go through it and try to figure it out. Um, because they're also kind of trying to hide things from the others, so yeah, that yeah, because they don't know like who the baddie is exactly, exactly is or what's on. happening. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, Twinkle and Morgan are also just misbehaving terribly <laughs> and being bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> like Twinkle is really like vocal and obvious about the fact that he's very much enjoying a second childhood. Yes, <laughs> and wants. <laughs> all the toys and wants to like go on the roof and wants to be pretty and wants to be pretty. (laughs) You know, I understand how I understand. And poor Sophie is like very consumed by just trying to take care of the two of them throughout the book. The elves show back up and they're like, we found this inside your uncle and there were eggs inside of him. Lubbock eggs. Um, And they, Try to destroy the eggs, can't do it. But they bring Calcifer, who I hadn't even mentioned, but who came with Sophie and Twinkle and Morgan. Um, and Calcifer like explodes the eggs. Um, and then the Lubbock shows up and Calcifer kills the Lubbock. Yeah. Um, through yeah. a uh, fiery battle. <laughs> and then Calcifer kind of disappears and they're like, I guess he died. Yeah, and I was like, come on, guys. Calcifer is not dead. <laughs> Fire demon. <laughs> but no, it was a sort of like 
Gandalf, like, and I smote his ruin upon the mountaintop, like that. It was that kind of battle. Only we only see it from afar, right? I know we only <laughs> see it from the main character's perspective, so they're just scared in yeah. the house, being like, "I don't know, don't look too close." Yeah, yeah. Um, so at that point, Peter and Charmaine capture Rollo, the bad little kobold, because they saw the Lubbock also inject him with eggs. Well, and they saw him give Rollo gold. Yeah, they saw him <laughs> give Rollo gold from the end of a rainbow yeah. and then inject him with eggs. And they were like, okay, bad stuff is going on. And it's the Lubbock who paid Rollo to create friction between the wizard and the kobolds because there are all these stories of like why they don't help him anymore and why the house is such a disaster. Um, so they capture Rollo. They're like, we're going to figure out how to get to the Cobalt Haven through the house. <laughs> they make their way there um, and explain everything to Timmins, who is... Timmins is such a great name for a leader. Yeah. I know. Um, and it's spelled T-I-M-M-I-N-Z, which is just also very great. pleasing to me. Oh, it, re- it reminded me of Tim from mm-hmm. the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Tim. <laughs> um and so that piece is like sort of dealt with. Uh, they decide that they're gonna like cure Rollo by making a trade with the elves. And then Charmaine and Peter go attempt to go back to the house, but Peter kind of disappears along the way. And yeah, when he Char- just boops away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Charmaine is like, he's always getting lost. He's probably doing more bad magic so i don't care going on and without him yeah i do enjoy the disregard that they have for each other (laughs) (laughs) they really don't like each other and we'll we'll talk about it more um in our i guess romantic realism (laughs) section (laughs) but when charmaine arrives back in the I always think of the center of the house as the kitchen because that's where everything else kind of emanates from. Um, Peter's mom, who is a respected witch, has shown up. um, And she's like, is he okay? What's going on? Who are you? You seem like you need help. (laughs) Charmaine also doesn't like her (laughs) because she's very, like, bossy and practical. Yeah, she tells her that Waif is a, like, enchanting dog. Meaning that Waif has magic about her. Yeah. She's kind of like her familiar. Right. Yeah. So at that part, Charmaine says, okay, I've been preoccupied too long. I need to go try to see if Kelsifer is under those rocks. I need to go back to the castle. And, or they call it the Royal Mansion. I don't think it's really a castle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And talk to Sophie and Twinkle about all this Lubbock business. Um, And this is the other piece. Charmaine also witnessed the prince and his crony, the colorless gentleman, um, with cobalts taking gold away from the royal mansion and they're like enslaved kobolds yeah it's really bad they're they're unhealthy and not well cared for and being abused um and she notices purple signs on the colorless gentleman and the prince and Mm -hmm. realizes that they are lubbockin yeah so that's what's going on they're all in service of their master who's now been killed by calcifer but everybody doesn't even really know that at this point yeah and um no cell phones (laughs) Yes, um, and the prince. What's his name? I can't remember. Ludovic. 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 Um, I think Prince Ludovic. 
He, uh, yeah, one of the things about Lubbockin is that they're kind of soulless in a, like, they don't really feel warm emotions. Mm -hmm. Like, they're kind of very evil and they're only interested in themselves. Like, they're sociopaths. Mm -hmm. They're narcissistic sociopaths. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't think they are full, fully like sold entities. Yeah, I think like something's wrong with their. Part emotions. of them is their Lubbock controller parent because the Lubbock are like straight up evil. Mm-hmm. Charmaine is headed back to the royal mansion. She can't find Calcifer in the rocks, um, and she has Waif with her. Waif is always with her. I haven't mm-hmm. mentioned that explicitly, but Waif, like Madeline said, is her familiar. Yeah, she's always around. And at the mansion, she arrives to find quite a scene where Sophie is fighting with the king and princess who are very angry that she's leaving and are like, you're our royal guest. You can't leave. Yeah, they were like flipping out at her. Because they want her to stay until she fixes their problem. And Sophie is saying, my child has been threatened. Um, We got to get out of here. There have been like vague bits of information. There was a ball mid book that we didn't mention. um, But at that ball, Charmaine learned that Sophie's baby Morgan not Twinkle had been threatened somehow um and Twinkle had told her that they were going to like pretend to leave so that they could be safer but would still be around trying to solve the problem but they're having trouble pretending to leave yeah they're struggling (laughs) to pretend to leave and the prince and his crony are also there um and there's like rabble rabble fighting And then there's actual fighting because the prince's crony and then one of his other cronies um, become more insectoid and it becomes really clear that they're Lubbockin. His wife and then like an attendant or is it the It's not a wife. It's like, it's like. The colorless man. They they just keep calling her like a lady in waiting, but I don't know why the prince has a lady in waiting. Maybe because they're just Lubbockin sticking together. So they just name themselves whatever makes contextual sense. So they then attack and try to take Twinkle. Um, and also Morgan, the prince takes Morgan. Uh, the others are trying to take Twinkle, but Twinkle keeps, Twinkle keeps getting like, quote unquote, captured. And then like Charmaine sees just like a full grown man's legs appear and just like kick them away. (laughs) Twinkle gets away like a little higher up the house and then they capture again and then it repeats and Twinkle's very clearly like luring them further up the stairs. Um, And Charmaine and Sophie are trying to follow, but they're like struggling. Charmaine is also carrying a gold brick because they've found the treasure and are trying to bring it back. Um, And I just really love the whole like emotion of this like super powerful wizard who's pretending to be a tiny little cute toddler. So like they they keep trying to catch him. But of course, he easily evades them. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone's just moving further and further back up toward the roof. Um, which has been a site of conflict throughout the book. Yes. Um, and once they're up there, Twinkle Howl turns the Lubbockin into squid. And the <laughs> purple squid. Because then, the chef's dog and Jamal's dog squid just tears up the <laughs> stairs past them and chomps the squids. Yep. That's how you get rid of a Lubbockin. <laughs> So that's managed. Um, And then they go back down where the prince is threatening them, um, has Morgan and is saying, you know, if you don't 
let me take the crown. Like this, this little toddler gets it. Yeah, I'm gonna um, eat your baby. And uh, yeah, and they're all just kind of like hmm, these stakes are actually really low. <laughs> Uh, we're actually not in much danger at all. <laughs> and then Twinkle changes places with Morgan and then becomes Howl. Yeah. Um, and uh, then what they, and then turns the prince and the colorless gentleman into rabbits. rabbits and then yeah. Waif kills the rabbits. Yep. <laughs> so they have the dogs do all of the murder. <laughs> dogs take care of everything. <laughs> There's also no like human or lubbockan lives really lost because they're turned into animals or like creatures. Right. And then it's just, you know, natural world. And then it's like, happening. yeah, dog, yeah, eat it. Go eat the prey. <laughs> so goofy. <laughs> At the same time, Peter bursts through the wall, destroying it. He was trying a divination spell and he was in the wizard's workshop and the wizard is there too at this point with uh, Wizard Norland and he's very clearly like, hmm, why are you in my workshop? <laughs> <laughs> and he figured it out and cast a spell that actually he thinks worked. He said it should take him to where the treasure is and he was taken to the mansion. So he's oh, like, okay. it must be here. Okay. And at this point they've realized that the famed fake gold roof that a a wizard was paid to create way back in the day. Yeah, and the lore is that it looks like gold, but it's not. But isn't actually, actually has all the gold under it. That's where they hit it, which is super smart. Mm -hmm. So uh, the kingdom is saved and everybody's like, well, all right. And Charmaine says, I don't want to like go and take care of the house. I want to work here in the library. Um, and they're like, well, you can do it two days a week. <laughs> time sounds great <laughs> and at the same time she's gonna go learn how to hone her magic and become a witch in her own right yeah and calcifer is okay he's not dead he also yes. shows up and Calcifer's he's like no fine. i just got stuck in the rocks i'm a fire demon i'm yeah. fine <laughs> yeah he's he's fine and he just kind of comes and like sits in the fire and watches all the shenanigans <laughs> and then really the end of the book is just charmaine being like well, I like Howl a lot better than Twinkle. He's so handsome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so that was my best attempt at the plot. I'm sorry. A lot no, of I things think, were out of order slash forgotten. But as we said, this book is chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> Chaotically There's joyful. a lot of different things happening at once to different characters in different places that then all like converge in a mess, um, which is very similar to the endings of Howl's Moving Castle and Castle in the Air as well. I love this style of ending, obviously. Like, it's it's my favorite. Yeah, and because her work is so character driven, it's more about how they bounce off of each other than about what's even actually happening narratively. So yeah. it's always fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, she does a really good job at just letting the characters, yeah, bounce off each other, yeah. and that's what creates like the energy and the plot. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll just talk a bit about new impressions since we hadn't read this before and I think new impressions slash uh, takeaways from the series as a whole because yeah. we actually read the whole thing um would you like to go first or should I I I will go first I uh, 
adore the shenanigans of mm-hmm. Howell and Sophie. I love the way that Howell continues to be ridiculous. And, uh, and um, he spent the last two books in disguise. Yes. I um, mean, the last one it was technically... Was, was it a curse that he had to be a genie? Or did he choose it because he had to like be bad but he wanted to be bad <laughs> i don't specifically remember it it was definitely complicated but yeah fully in disguise for these two books um and i just thought it was so incredibly fitting that he literally chose to be a, like a small pretty child <laughs> just like running around making chaos for everyone like when i you know you realize pretty quickly that twinkle is howl and uh, i was just delighted because I was waiting for Sophie and Hal to pop up because I knew they were going to be in the book, and it it was it was perfect. It was it was the perfect unveiling. <laughs> Twinkle's introduction when he just like turns and smiles and is like, "I'm Twinkle." I'm Twinkle. <laughs> I bark laughed when <laughs> I got to that part. Uh, it's it's so perfect with his energy, and I really love like his and Sophie's dynamic where she's the one that is like much more practical um, and responsible and Howell is very powerful, but he's just like, he really needs her to ground him. Um, Otherwise he would get himself into such terrible messes that he'd never get out of them. Like we see in the first book. And, and I think Diana Wynne Jones does an amazing job with it because it somehow doesn't feel sexist in the way that that dynamic often does where it's like the man gets to be like wild and free and unfettered genius. And then there's the woman who has to like take care of him. Right. But in fact, like they're both really important to their dynamic mm-hmm. and to how being able to use his power for Yeah, Sophie's powerful too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like for both of them being able to use their power in good and constructive ways. Mm-hmm. Like them being together is very important. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yeah, I just totally love their dynamic. I was really excited that their son is in it. Like that was really fun to yeah. see. Because Morgan was just an infant in Castle of the Sky. Mm-hmm. Still love just that name, Baby Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny to me. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this this made me really happy. It was a really cute book. Uh, I, I loved how bumbling it was. Uh, like they just kind of... Slam from objective to objective. It really felt convincing as it just being these two teenagers um, just <laughs> bopping around. And, and irritating this, each other. Yeah. It's the amount that they ticked each other off. Doing laundry poorly. <laughs> I And also in this past year, um, we're now renting, uh, me and my partner and my brother, we're now renting a house. And I haven't lived in a house since I moved out of my mom's house like I was living at my dad's and my mom's after college um for like a year and then once I left for law school uh I haven't lived in a house since and I didn't live in a house during college so for the first time in my life I'm in charge of taking care of a house and it's it's a very small house you know it's just a little craftsman It, it definitely isn't as complicated as the wizard's house the wizard Norland um but I could totally just feel the burden of like having to figure out like, okay, what do I have to do to keep this place running? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what and how do I do it? Like what's the right way to do these things? And I so I even enjoyed them just doing the mundane chores and like figuring out 
how they were going to go about all of that. Like I felt a very strong connection with that. Yeah. And that piece of it and Charmaine being at the center of it, I think is where Diana Wynne Jones is doing the sort of commentary and satirizing of fairy tale tropes and characters Mm -hmm. where Charmaine is the like impeccably brought up young lady, but then she doesn't, she can't do anything. Yeah. Um, And also is like very spoiled in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Doesn't want to do anything. Yeah. Um, Kind of learns how to do things in spite of herself. Yeah. Um, So I thought that that piece was really funny too, like putting her into that situation Mm -hmm. and then her being like, I don't know. Like, how do you wash a dish? (laughs) I couldn't tell you. How do you dry a dish? That was the piece where, and Peter's just looking at her in absolute (laughs) disgust. And she's like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. And I'm also a firm believer that cleaning is uh, like a good um, meditative practice Mm -hmm. almost. And, uh, in Diana Wynne Jones's books, there is a lot of descriptions of like mundane necessary tasks, Mm -hmm. um, like upkeep and cleaning and like personal care and stuff. Uh, so yeah, that, that really vibes with me. Um, I, uh, it, it feels right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I think the funny thing about this book compared to the others in the series, so we have a very distinct young protagonist for each of the books. Um, and all three are, in my opinion, very different. Um, we have yes. Sophie yeah. in House Moving Castle, Abdullah in Castle in the Sky, and Charmaine in House of Many Ways. Sophie comes into the series, I mean, and just absolutely kills it. Like, she is one of my all-time favorite characters ever in any series she figures stuff out with the hand that she's been dealt and at at is doing all of this in a body that doesn't feel like hers because she's been aged like 80 years through Mm -hmm. magic um and dealing with being like overlooked as you know just an old woman and then also dropped in the middle of these really like high stakes and serious situation Abdullah is also super resourceful. Um, He is operating from a very different standpoint because his great quest is to save the princess that he has fallen in love with um, and which he manages to actually do, whereas all the suitors for the other princesses who have been kidnapped fail. Yeah. (laughs) And along the way is um, learning a lot about himself and about the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Then we get to Charmaine. And I think <laughs> the really funny thing about this series is that the stakes get lower with each book. Yeah. yeah. And truly by the third book, Charmaine isn't really so much a protagonist that's inciting action or moving the story forward. It's kind of happening in spite of her. Yeah, it's the other way around. And like she's reacting to the action. Right. Um, and she is important. And the piece that I, I forgot to mention at the end is that throughout the book, they're talking about the elf gift because that's something that they've seen mentioned and it being something that could protect the royal family because the Lubbockans are the ones who killed all of the descendants mm-hmm. um, so that 
Prince Ludovic the Lubbockin could be next in line to the throne. Yeah, the Lubbocks are really playing the long game here, and it like they it's, really it's are working. <laughs> I have a feeling that they have very very long lifespans, yeah. or like are quasi immortal, yeah. or something like that, because they're clearly like I'm putting all my pieces down and very it's slowly. Gonna wait for the payoff. <laughs> putting eggs in everybody, <laughs> like a game of uh, Ticket to Ride. <laughs> Game of Ticket to Ride. Um, And at the same time, as readers, I feel like we never feel too concerned about what's happening. Yeah. Like when you look at the seriousness of the plot conflict in each book, it it really does decrease until we get to this point where we're in a kingdom we don't know. <laughs> Princess Hilda is our only connection to the kingdom because she's one of the princesses who was kidnapped yeah. in the previous book. She's like the older princess yeah. um, because they range in age from, you know, baby to aged. Um, and... Uh, and it doesn't, you know, it's like, oh, the kingdom's running out of money, but like it seems to only affect the royals. Like their subjects all seem pretty happy and they don't want to increase taxes. Yeah. So they're like letting people go on, but their money is just missing. <laughs> their money so is just like, going away. It's just and going don't away. understand why. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's really funny because I, I get that like this is being magically accomplished. Right. So like it's being concealed from them. But at the same time, it's like y'all really need better bookkeeping. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny because Ludovic is literally just walking out with the treasure. <laughs> I mean, mm. as a small business owner, like, I spend <laughs> a lot of time with spreadsheets and making sure things are where they're supposed to be. So it's really stress crazy. <laughs> it's, it's just not good. This is not effective bookkeeping. And Charmaine, I already mentioned as being a different sort of protagonist, but a lot I saw a lot of pushback online against Charmaine as a character because she is pretty ineffective. Which is frustrating. Um yeah. but one thing I love so much about Diana and Jones is that she really never forgets just how annoying people are and she really drives that home yeah. in all of her stories. Yeah. Like it's so rare that characters meet someone who's like I'm helpful. I will assist you. Instead, it's like almost always these kind of tense conversations. <laughs> People are being like, Ugh, what? Like, who are you? Why do you need this? Like, what's going on? I don't want to help you. Go away. <laughs> and even something, a moment in this book, like Peter's mom coming and talking to Charmaine, that should be a moment where like Charmaine feels like, oh, thank goodness. Like an adult has come into the picture. Like someone's here to help. But instead she's like, oh, I'm glad really she's not my mom. Yeah. <laughs> like she is really mean and she expects me to have practical skills. <laughs> and at the same time, I also love the like teenage component of Charmaine and yeah. Peter too. Yeah. And that's one reason why they clash so strongly um, because they're both like, I know what I want to do and I'm not going to do what you want to do. And Peter's really the one that's more productive throughout the book, but the things he's trying to do. So his thing is that he can't do magic that goes right. His mom uh, articulates that his magic <laughs> near is the just end of the mess. book. And she's very clearly like, I'm worried about yeah. him. <laughs> Cause he just, yeah, creates disasters every time he tries to cast a spell, which Charmaine is understandably 
frustrated by because she keeps having to clean up his messes. And the form of magic in this book and also throughout this series is something that I absolutely love where there isn't so much a magic system as there is just like sheer willpower and, and frustration. Yeah. Magic <laughs> just floating around. And if you have, you know, some kind of innate capacity to do so, you can kind of grab it and slap it on things <laughs> and fix them. Yeah. Um, and that is Charmaine's approach to yeah her enchantments throughout the book. Um, I think it's really funny that she, so she, I guess, gets the capacity to control the elements to some extent through From the book. The Boke of Palimpsest. Yeah. Um, Boke, sorry. <laughs> the Boke, Madeline, the Boke. <laughs> um, and... And yet when she was using the book, yeah, she thought she was just casting a flying spell, but instead she was like pulling in all these different pieces of little spells. So that's a more, you know, complex established form of magic that she was engaging in. But it, at the same time, it was also a mess. <laughs> it's also like snippets and odds and ends and bits and pieces of different things. Yeah. Um, so I like the randomness and chaos of that, as we said. Yeah. Very very chaotic book but I, just be, but I actually like that Charmaine yeah. is like a weird protagonist non-protagonist and I think it's Diana Wynne Jones trying something different um and we already have these other amazing characters that she's established previously in Sophie and Twinkle and Calcifer and then some really amazing new ones too um but but Charmaine doesn't feel out of place with them, I wouldn't say. And, no. and I think you can relate to her on the level, like young readers, especially on the level of like, like I was saying, the teenage component of like, no, I don't want to do dishes and I do want to read. <laughs> and like, she hasn't, it, it's not her fault that she is this way. She was very carefully created this way by mm -hmm. her mother. Yeah. And I, I just love the way that in Dino, Diana Wynne Jones books, people don't automatically get along. They don't automatically right. like each other. Like a lot of times you have to work with people who are like really obnoxious mm -hmm. and frustrating. I don't know. It just feels very realistic. Yes. Like you're not always immediately going to like be soul partners with your adventuring party. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know. I love that. And even in romantic relationships and you see that with Sophie and Hal where they're often like, oh my God, this thing you do makes me crazy. Yeah. But there is an underlying understanding and respect and love it doesn't feel like a toxic relationship yeah. or anything like that exactly um, but yeah I, I also love the realism of the way people interact in her books mm -hmm. and and yeah I'd say in this series especially because each book really has one major puzzle that the characters are trying to solve um, that usually has to do with like the governing of a kingdom to some extent yeah um, and yeah like I said even though the stakes get lower it's still interesting to see the way each of these different kingdoms works and of the yeah, laissez-faire approach of um, the king and Princess Hilda. And they're like very hands-off. Yep. They're like, our people are good, so we'll leave them alone. Yep. We will die destitute. <laughs> but don't want to raise taxes. Trying so, to fix it. I don't yeah. know. Maybe we'll figure it out. Um, Which, you know, I can appreciate not wanting to raise taxes over what is clearly a personal problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I guess my major takeaway is I understand why this isn't classified really as a series or a trilogy. Like it doesn't really have that type of cohesion, 
but it's more an opportunity to keep seeing the characters that you love show up in different funny circumstances. And that's great. I love that. You know, it's very organic. It doesn't, everything doesn't have to be like this grand wide preordained. Yeah. Or even, I mean, we were just talking about the queen's thief series, um, earlier and talking about other series we've covered many or most books from on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And that's a series where it's like everything was, you know, carefully set. But I think, I feel like before Megan Whalen Turner even started writing it, like she had an idea, a general idea of where things would go. Yeah, it was very carefully planned out. And this feels more like Diana Wynne Jones returning to this specific sandbox to have more fun with these characters. To just be like, what are they up to? Yeah. (laughs) And compare, I mean, go, talking about other Diana Wynne Jones series, comparing this to like the Crestomancy books, for example, where there is a larger narrative running through, but there are some of the same elements too, where it's like, what's happening? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> anyway, book good. Book good. Book good. I recommend. <laughs> I also want to mention that, uh, so you're all aware that we love the Miyazaki Howl's adaptation. Um, There have not been films made for the other books uh, surrounding these characters, but there is this incredible conceptual project that I found by the artist Diana Norland. She has the same name as the kingdom and the wizard, which is amazing. And her first name is Diana. Isn't that cool? (laughs) She even had a little note on her website that was like, I know it's weird. Weird. (laughs) (laughs) But she is incredibly talented she loves this book and she made um storyboards and concept art and character pages for what an animated adaptation of this book might look like and it's gorgeous when i first saw it coming up in google images i was like oh my god is there like an incredible animated film that was made of this that i just somehow don't know about but it's her art um and we'll link that on our website as well these books have inspired so much fan content it's it's really clear to see that they've really connected with a lot of people Sorry, her name is Dina Norland, not Diana Dina Norland. Still I'm, still close enough for it to be like, whoa. Yeah. So let's talk about animals, animals just like animals. animals in this book. Animals in this book. And we'll we'll classify. You know, we've already had some Lubbock talk and Lubbockin talk. I guess we'll classify them as like creatures, not animals necessarily, but man, they're creepy. They're very um, scary. I don't like anything that lays eggs in something's body. Yeah, it was smart to make them insects um, because they're automatically just like feel more alien and less relatable than a mammalian or yeah. like even avian. <laughs> yeah. And and they're so sinister. Like the fact that the Lubbock is just like out on the plains and you could come across him at any time yeah. and then become the bearer of his Lubbock. Right, <laughs> yeah. That's terrifying very sinister definitely especially because the setting is so gorgeous and when i first started yeah yeah, when i first started the book i i tend to like go between an audiobook and an ebook these days because i want to be outside and walk but i'm just not good with audiobooks so i was listening and i was walking by lake washington and everything was so gorgeous it was a beautiful spring day we had a little like early spring heat wave here um And I could just see like the puffy clouds and blue sky. And I was having a full on like Ghibli movie moment. (laughs) Um, But I was seeing it. I was seeing House of Many Ways, not 
howls. Um, and it was just so incredible. And then suddenly it's like, dun, 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 back. <laughs> it's like, run no, away. run away home. <laughs> Get away from me. Um, and I do love that Charmaine is then able to just kind of like fall slash fly away from him. <laughs> Be like, no, leave me. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Lubbock and Lubbockin are very disturbing. And it's a very effective moment when Charmaine in, it's actually in the ball when she realizes that they're Lubbockin. Um, yeah. And I guess I'm calling it a ball, but it was just like a gathering of fancy people at it the Royal like Mansion. It had that kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, that Charmaine kind of accidentally attended. Um, and then, like, Prince Ludovic is, like, really mean to her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he's, he's not a nice guy. Um, but the moment that's effective is when she sees, like, the purple tinge to his eyes. Yeah. And then she's like, um, oh, he's a Lubbockin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, other than the Lubbocks and Lubbockins, which, you know, do not like, we've established, um, we have the Cobalts. And Cobalts yeah. are an established sprite in fairy tales and folklore. Um, they yeah. are Germanic in origin. And um, they're all over video games. Yeah. And I mean, they remind me of the Knock McFeagles mm-hmm. um, yeah. from Terry Pratchett's Tiffany Aching books. Um, and also, you know, a wide range of other like small blue creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they, it, it's it's a little confusing getting at like what the nature of their employment with the wizard is exactly. Something that I didn't quite understand is that it seems like he relies on them, but like, what is he giving them in exchange? Is it payment? Like, are they hired or are they like... Well, indentured servants to him or didn't, something. Didn't he leave a note that that's when Charmaine was like, oh, Rolo's lying about the gold. Right. Or, he says that he gives Rolo milk. Right. So I feel like he probably gives them stuff like milk. that. Yeah. <laughs> which, which like makes sense for those kind mm. of fairy creatures. Like that's what they want. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I think it's, it's less odd than I initially And you felt. also see them, like, it seems like the Cobalts have many, much industry. Mm-hmm. Like, they're making the sled for the elves, yeah. and, like, they're making all those cuckoo clocks. <laughs> yes. Skilled crafts people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, they make, did they make the rocking chairs, too? The rocking chairs, I don't understand where they were coming from. No. And also, it didn't get explained, but... But there was some a, sort of protection. Yeah, there was just a funny moment when Charmaine's like, why are there so many rocking chairs in here? because there's like a ring of them around the perimeter of the room and Sophie's just like for our protection (laughs) I thought that was super funny I did almost get the feeling too that Hal was just saying that because he wanted rocking horses I know (laughs) no same I couldn't tell I was like is this Twinkles doing is he just pretending that they need all but that was one of those super comedic moments of the book that like every time Charmaine comes back into that great room there's just like more rocking horses yeah um that just like piled on top of each other <laughs> uh, yeah that really tickled me mm. um and then of course the major animal in this book is waif yeah. um who is Love super cute i mean at the beginning i was getting like tinges of you know disney's side character where it's like they're always there they're doing funny stuff goofing around it was funny because it really made me think about the dog 
in the movie Howl's Moving Castle with like the weird little pink legs. Mm-hmm. But this this dog looks really different. The witch's dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who just like likes Sophie better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and Waif like becomes big at one point through one of Peter's spells. Um, Waif gets little trays of dog food that appear on the mantle, which is super cute. Waif eats a lot. Um, Waif is very hungry. Yeah. <laughs> That's another reason why Charmaine doesn't like Peter's mom, because she's like, if you keep feeding that dog like that, it's going to get fat. Yeah. And Charmaine's just like, hmm. Like, no, I have to feed it. She uh, wants Wave the food. Waif is hungry. Oh. Also, Waif runs like hundreds of miles a day. Yeah. yeah. And just a little white dog. Yeah. Um, and Waif even um, changes her gender and sex like yeah to match. God, i didn't finish talking about the elf gift but waif is the elf gift yes. i don't know i'm so sorry you guys this is a, <laughs> gonna be a bit of a mess um but yeah waif is the elf gift which is this like magically passed down not magically passed down but it's like an inherited ability to protect the royal family yeah um that is passed through dogs yeah yes like some dogs in the line get mm-hmm. it and some don't yeah and Waif and Jamal's dog have uh, babies, so there's going to be more elf gift coming. No, there's a really cute line where someone just says, like, well, when Waif has her puppies, we'll yeah. see if they have the elf gift. And then, like, Charmaine looks at Waif and is like, the cook's dog? And it says Waif just kind of looks like, huh. <laughs> yeah, Waif and Charmaine have an adorable relationship, especially because... She- it's not just people that can be annoying. Dogs can be annoying too. And Jermaine is always annoyed by Wave yeah. um, because Wave is always following her and is always hungry. Yeah. Um, but Wave is just like, I don't care. I'm here. I love you. Yep. I don't care if I yep. annoy you. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I did I did love Waif always running along behind Charmaine because um, there's a lot of running in this book. Charmaine is having to go back and forth between the house and the kingdom center, the city center. Yeah, <laughs> um, and she only sometimes uses the magic way She can there. go through a magic way in the house, but because she's not interested in figuring out how to actually use the house, she doesn't really learn it, so she doesn't trust it. So she, instead she's like, well, I'll just do the like two-hour run. <laughs> That's what she prefers. This is one reason why Charmaine is an ineffective protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah, Peter, meanwhile, is like coming up with a complicated series of strings on his fingers in order to figure (laughs) out. It's like all of these, the rainbow strings on his fingers, like such chaos. So ridiculous. That's how he figures out which way to go to get to places. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it does sound confusing, I will say, because it's not just the direction For you sure. go through a door. It's like how you turn as you go through the door, like how you position your body. A lot more complicated than some options, yeah. I will say. Yeah. It's no flu powder for sure. <laughs> no. Um, and then the other main animal in the book is Jamal's dog, um, who we met in Castle in the Sky and loved squid then and loves squid now. And that's his main character trait. <laughs> He's like mean and very scruffy, but then if you show him kindness, becomes obsessed with you, which was the case in the previous book as well. Yeah, which is, you know, I get it. Uh, same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me some fried squid. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I I can't do like raw squid, um, but I can 
Absolutely. I love calamari. <laughs> Speaking of fried squid, let's do pretend food. There is so much food in this book. <laughs> so much. It, it <laughs> truly never stopped. It would be impossible for us to even go through all of it. Um, and the best part is that we get a lot of enchantment delivered food, um, which yes. I'm always a fan of. <laughs> I loved it when uh, Charmaine was like, she had afternoon tea and then she had afternoon tea again. <laughs> and then and then had some breakfast. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yes. Because there are a variety of ways in which you can get food in the house. Um, one is tapping the fireplace and asking for breakfast, um, which uh, this is another example of... <laughs> So it's Charmian and Peter are just very like confused and often not super creative (laughs) because they're just tapping it and saying breakfast, breakfast. Um, And if they're not happy with what comes up, they're just like, oh, well, it's what's for breakfast. It's what's for breakfast. And then Peter's mom comes and is having like beautiful pancakes with syrup and bacon and orange juice. And Charmaine is like, where'd you get these? How did you order that? And she's like, have you asked for anything in particular? (laughs) And Charmaine's like, no, we just ate breakfast. Asking for breakfast. (laughs) But, you know, again, another example of someone who has had things done for them in the past. um, Definitely. Rather than figuring them out themselves. Um, The way that you get afternoon tea is by just like kind of sending the tea cart to go get tea for you. (laughs) That's one of the ways in which they start realizing the vast nature of the house and also it's time traveling capacity, which we haven't even talked about. Oh my, oh my God. There's so much in this book. She just packs so much magic into her books. Truly. Yeah. Um, because there's a real butterfly effect situation where, Oh, there's the map that they find that tells them how to use the house. But Charmaine goes back in time to one of the rooms in the house where she meets her uncle much younger and is like, oh, you got to make that map for me. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to work on that. (laughs) Which is nice. I wish that I could go back in time and tell people what they need to do for me in the future. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because the house should really... I don't know. The house is less of a character in the book than it could have been. You know, a lot more of the book could have been devoted to exploration of the house. They use it in really like a more practical way rather than a whimsical way. Yeah, no, it is very different. And I now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, it makes more sense that Hell's Moving Castle is has so much more personality because Calcifer is yeah. a part yeah. of the house and yeah. Calcifer is like a magical creature, mm-hmm. whereas um, the Wizard Norland's house feels more like a house that just has, um, you know, kind of interdimensional... Capabilities. capabilities yeah <laughs> i was saying this to my husband the other day after reading the book i was like why isn't there a box you can check on zillow that's like time traveling <laughs> hidden rooms magical doors <laughs> afternoon tea comes when you call <laughs> um yeah and the funny thing is that the wizard norland great uncle william didn't know that any of this was a part of the house. He just bought it because it was like small and cheap um, and needed a starter home <laughs> as a young wizard. So it's another way in which like the the magic in the universe really is just kind of around. Right. It's just kind of exploding outward yeah. where it can. 
Um, it's very chaos magic. And I wonder if the house was informed by the wizard to some extent, because when you have a wizard living in a house that's already magical, that's probably going to have like a multiplying effect. You know what I mean? And he did like purposefully set up uh, mm-hmm. like the notes and stuff for Charmaine. Yeah. But but obviously, yeah, the ma- the house already had all of its own magic before yeah. that. So Yeah, it's funny. There are very few rooms we get to see that aren't being actively used in the plot. But then the ones that we do seem really nice. There's like the pool room. That's yeah. like a beautiful tiled little pool that you can take a dip in. <laughs> I want a private secret pool room. Oh, yeah, I do. Um. Anyway, back to food. So yeah, she they use the cart to like realize the time traveling capabilities because they put flowers on it and send the cart and then the flowers disappear. And then when Charmaine is going through the other rooms, I think she's falling waif at this point who's yeah. leading her. Yeah. She sees her uncle Yaga, she sees the flowers there. So she's like, oh boy, think things be traveling through time. They really do. Um <laughs> so the food ranges from tasty to gross um yeah (laughs) there is an amazing dinner uh here let me just pull up my highlights so i can find it oh and ludovic prince ludovic hates um crumpets which is weird because they're pretty inoffensive food but you kind of get the feeling that lubbocks and lubbockins like aren't very into food in general yeah i don't know because i I don't think I've ever had so much of a narrative dedicated to explaining just how buttery these crumpets are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> than in this book, um, because there's like butter pouring off of them and covering people who are eating them. And crumpets by themselves are, you know, they're not very exciting, kind of boring. But since they're so porous, like they're literally full of holes, they're an excellent. Um, conveyor of whatever like delicious topping whether Mm -hmm. some sort of jam or just straight up butter Mm -hmm. you know like they it gets that buttery um carby baked goodness it's you know it's wonderful (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) maybe to do some baking today now yeah that would be nice if you live in seattle there was a spot called the crumpet shop in pike place i i mean i don't know if anything exists anymore after the last year there Um, there's also that that um queen bee crumpet shop that's like attached to the senior living center aegis Oh, I didn't know that they had crumpets there. Yeah, they do. Madeline has her crumpet crumpet senses are tingling. That's what I'll say about that. Um, So I, at the beginning of the book, this is leading up to the disgusting dinner that I mentioned, Charmaine and Peter are really hungry and they're not sure how to get food out of the house. Like it takes some trial and error to figure out how to get what they're looking for. And a very funny thing is that at the beginning they're like scrounging and starving and eating like pasties or pasties that Charmaine brought from her dad. That's literally all that they have to eat. That's the only food they have. Um, Little do they know they have but to tap the fireplace. But then once they figure out that they can get breakfast through the fireplace, they try to get dinner foods through it as well. But they just get given like raw meat and whole vegetables. Things that need to be cooked. (laughs) And neither of them have even the slightest idea how to cook things. Peter is a little further along than Charmaine. But what he does is they ask they ask their uncle or Charmaine's uncle how to get dinner. 
and he says to knock on the pantry door and say supper. Um, so they bang on the door and do that. And then they, uh, there was a knobby flopping sound from the table. Both of them whirled around to look. There lying beside the open suitcase were a small lamb chop, two onions, and a turnip. All raw, Peter said, stunned. <laughs> um, and uh, Peter does cook them by just putting them in a pot um, and uh, just boiling them for a really long time. That's what so, we do for my dog when she has an upset tummy. <laughs> so that's bad. And that's, I mean, that's followed by the next morning. Um, they ask for breakfast and they get... Uh, just rolls honey and orange juice. So sometimes it's like a light breakfast, a continental breakfast, and they want more. So Peter makes eggs for them. They had a somewhat unsatisfactory supper. Peter's eggs were, well, solid. (laughs) Solid. (laughs) Peter asked her about her time in the royal mansion. Charmaine told him in order to get both their minds off the way hard-boiled eggs did not mix with honey. So they're just oh. like taking whatever the house gives them just and kind of putting it into a it pot. <laughs> Jamal is an amazing cook, yeah. as as we know from Castle in the Sky. Um, when Charmaine first goes to the royal mansion and they have tea, she chomps into some crisp brown things under a white cloth. One bite was enough to assure her that Jamal was an even better cook than her father. Mm -hmm. Mr. Baker was renowned for being the best cook in town. The brown things were crunchy, but soft at the same time, with a rather hot taste that Charmaine had never met before. They made you need lemonade. We don't know what they are. (laughs) Samosas? That's exactly what I was just thinking of. Because I think the the hot taste Charmaine had never met before is meant to be some kind of spice. Spice. Yeah. But, but what? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. Still sounds delicious. Or the when she does go and visit her father and we get to hear about like the baked goods that are being put together. And he makes the cake that ends up at the Royal Mansion. Yes. Yeah. For that party slash ball yes yeah um yeah i love going to the bakery and also learning this is a cool junction of magic and food when charmaine is talking to her dad and he's like okay you came here because you asked me to tell you how to cook that's so funny these are like the quests that she goes on it's like i have to go talk to my dad so i can learn how to cook (laughs) and like granted there is the longer running plot device of like I'm trying to figure out where the gold is but these smaller tasks have just as much gravity (laughs) in in the book which makes Um, it feel very relatable because you know my life is made up of of small quests (laughs) it's true (laughs) um so she goes to ask her dad for some recipes and he's like okay here they are but do you want the magic ones too and she's like oh father magic (laughs) and he's like i know your mom wouldn't like it but like don't tell your mom as long as i can remember you know we have used magic in our baking it just makes things a little easier there's no harm um so i wish i could get some magic cooking spells yeah i love that the idea of you know like baking magic um here's the description of the stew that peter made Dividing the food was not easy because Peter had not bothered to peel anything or cut it up before he put it in the pot. They had to hack the cabbage apart with two spoons. Nor had Peter remembered that a stew needs salt. Everything. White, soggy bacon, hunk of rabbit, whole turnip and flabby onion floated in weak, watery juice. Oh my god. (laughs) 
to put it mildly, the food was quite horrible. Oh my God. Yikes. So let's select our badass ladies and rate them on the badass lady meter. And I, I think I've chosen her like this is the third time, but my badass lady is Sophie. I rate her a family that includes a fire demon, a baby boy, and a baby toddler man who is very pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I don't really ever want my romantic partner to become a child. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little confusing. (laughs) Um, uh, But I just... I, I really loved the line too where like Halsever was missing and Charmaine was thinking about it and he was like she she says to herself I can tell that in a strange way Calcifer is part of Sophie's family. Yeah. So she would be very concerned by his yes. absence. Um which I really loved in you know I love found family type stuff. Yeah, cuz Calcifer explicitly says like well I want to do anything that's going to help because I love Sophie. <laughs> it's and it's Calcifer is very dedicated to Sophie specifically. Yes, not like Hal. He's, he's pretty annoyed by Hal in general. <laughs> like they've they've always had a somewhat tenuous relationship, yeah. but he And now they're not physically connected right. anymore, so it's probably nice to be free <laughs> of one another. Right, but he's around yeah because he like has a very deep bond with Sophie and she with him which I I adore Calcifer obviously we've talked about the fact that I have a Calcifer tattoo (laughs) so that feels very special to me I'm not even sure who I want to pick I like want to honor a lot of different women and just characters in this book Um, but you know and for for all my sort of support and um Support of Charmaine. She's not, you know, my favorite character. I do think she's not as strong a protagonist as Abdullah or Sophie, as we've mentioned. But I'm also still glad she exists. And I think she makes the book a lot funnier. Yeah. Um, This this is a very comedic, very comedic book. And I needed that and benefit from that. That's really lovely. Um, So I think think I'm going to give my badass lady to Twinkle. (laughs) Um, who is just a little cherub of a toddler child, I guess a little older than a toddler. Um, but like cute little cherub child to the nth degree to like a ridiculous degree. The, the perfect golden ringlets, the sparkling eyes, the cute little clothes, um, surrounded by piles of toys. He sounds like one of those little doll or the bigger dolls that you can buy with like the perfect Mm -hmm. big blue eyes and the eyelashes and like the little rosebud mouth. Like that's what (laughs) Twinkle made me think of. (laughs) And I love Twinkle's like clear magic abilities, even to people who don't understand like, what's, going, what's on. going on. Yeah. Twinkle's just like always in the thick of things. And then tw- like Twinkle's sitting on the roof and then Twinkle's like more rocking horses <laughs> <laughs> and more crumpets. Um, and it's just also the, the moment when Sophie's just like hissing through her teeth <laughs> at Twinkle behind the couch. And Charmaine's like, should I be hearing um just uh twinkle was incredible so funny from start to finish yeah 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, my rating for Twinkle is an increasing pile of rocking horses to the point that they start causing some kind of damage <laughs> because that's what Twinkle really wants. And it reminded me of Hal as the genie in Castle in the Sky when Hal was like, I'm okay. getting to explore these different sides of myself. Like now I get to be evil. <laughs> and also, Twinkle mentions a few times, like, I had a really bad childhood, and now I'm getting to do it over and be, like, a cute a cute boy. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I like how he just straight up says, like, look, I had a terrible childhood. <laughs> like, just let me be a small child. So that's our episode on House of Many Ways, and that's the end of the Howls series. Thank you for following along with us. Thank we you for joining you. us in this journey. And it was because of a variety of listener requests that we decided to cover Castle in the Sky and House of Many Ways, which we hadn't read before, and we're so glad we did. Yeah, yeah. I These have greatly increased my quality of life. The next book we're going to be covering will be The Wolves of Willoughby Chase by Joe Nakin. I remember reading this when I was young, but don't have a lot of details in my brain. So it'll be an interesting one. And it's new for Madeline. I have <laughs> as, not read this book. As often <laughs> as it often is. So that'll be coming out soon. If you'd like to stay in touch, see what we're up to, see some of the photos, we've covers we've mentioned and links from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod, and you can visit our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Also, we have a new Instagram to recommend, which is Madeline's art instagram which has some awesome stuff she's been working on oh i've yeah i've been reconnecting with my artistic side um and engaging in a really cool project that involves like combing through all of my old journals and stuff and like pulling doodles for um inspiration but if you want to see what i've been drawing lately then check out my instagram uh, it is called pig and doodles my dog's name is pig so i post pictures of her too uh, p-i-g-n-d-o-o-d-l-e-s pig and doodles pig and doodles <laughs> see you there <laughs> i'm grace and i'm madeline until next time goodbye